You're listening to a message from CT College, the college ministry of Cross Timbers Church located in Denton, Texas. If you would like to learn more about us, visit crosstimberschurch.org slash college or follow us on Instagram at CT underscore college. Amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Man, I don't know about you, but that ministered to me tonight. I needed that. Um, I know there's a, a national championship game going on. I know that there's um, tests looming, but this is such a wonderful place for us to be able to come and receive these truths and to be set free. Um, as you guys know, this is exciting stuff, but it's the month of April, um, which means that we're breaking stuff on stage and that it is the Imago Initiative Month. Um, and so we've talked about this and I'm just, I'm just gonna, something I was thinking about this past week is that we literally live in an age of outrage. Like, like, like if you go on Twitter, you on Facebook, like people mad. Like there's, there's stuff going on all the time. And so we live in a culture that loves to talk about problems because we know that we live in a fallen world and that there are, there is brokenness that we see all the time and people are upset about it and rightfully so. And so I want for us to be a group of young people, a group of college students, young adults who don't just talk about issues, but who actually do something about it. And y'all, that's what Imago Initiative is all about, that we believe that each person is created in the image of God and therefore they have unmatched dignity and worth. And we wanna be college students who don't just talk about making the world a better place, but who actually do it. And so we're raising money um, for First Refuge Denton, which is a ministry partner of Cross Timbers. Um, it's literally a mile to the right of us. Um, and, and they provide healthcare, counseling, food, for the homeless population, for the impoverished people of Denton. Image bearers of God who have unmatched dignity and worth, who can't eat, who don't have the means to get medicine, who can't get the counseling that they need. And First Refuge has figured out a way to help those people and to meet those needs. And I want for us to be those people who are helping those people. And so I don't know what that looks like for you, but I'm I wanna challenge every single person in the room. What would it look like for each of us to give at least $20 to provide food for the homeless in Denton? Because the reality is Toby, our senior pastor, says this all the time. Lead pastor says this all the time. He says, you know, one person can't do everything, but everybody can do something. And if each of us would be willing to say, okay, you know what? for the month of April, like, like no West Oak. Like I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say no to Chick-fil-A three times this month. And it's as simple as that as you saying, like choosing to eat at Kerr instead of going out to eat. It's as simple as that. And you strategically saying, Lord, I'm going to give this money so that another image bearer can eat. So that another image bearer can have medicine. So another image bearer can like get counseling who needs it. So like, I just wanna challenge you guys. Like, I, I, I don't just wanna be the dude who talks on Twitter. Like, I wanna have, like, if I post something on Twitter, like, let's back it up. And like, we have 2,000 on our goal. Like, I would love, I'm just gonna shoot y'all straight. Everyone thinks we're poor, broke college students who can't do anything. I would love if we could blow that out of the water and be like, y'all, look what a bunch of college students in Denton did with money that they don't have to make a difference in our city. So I believe in Imago because I believe that each person counts. And our friends who are sleeping without roof over their head tonight, they matter. 
And the friends who are literally haven't been able to eat food because they can't afford it, like they matter and we can make a difference. Like you can make a difference with that. Um, so we're gonna do that. that that's the, the money aspect of it. And then on April 20th, so not this Saturday, but the following, we're gonna go right across the street um, and they, there's this ministry called Our Daily Bread and they serve food. They serve free lunch to the homeless um, almost every day of the week and we're gonna go and serve um, and so there's gonna be signups in the lobby. You need to sign up um, before you go, but there's signups in the lobby for once again, for you not just to talk about social issues, but for you to actually do something about it. James 2.17 says, faith that's not accompanied by action is dead. The one who looks at his brother who's hungry and gives him nothing to eat, what good is it? So y'all, I, we've talked about this. We meet on Monday nights to change your Tuesday morning. And ultimately, we wanna meet on Monday nights to change everyone's Tuesday morning. So um, we're gonna pass some baskets uh, if you have cash on you. If not, another way that you can give um, is online and you can um, click on uh, CT College Imago for that, um, which is all on the Cross Timbers app and on the website. There'll also be iPads in the lobby for you to be able to do that. Like I said, everybody can't do, one person can't do everything, but everybody can do something. So just encourage you to be a part of that and let's blow that goal out of the water as a church. So I'm going to pray for um, Imago and for First Refuge and for what's given, and then uh, we'll keep going. So Father, thank you so much, um, God, that each and every person on planet Earth right now has your DNA in them. God, that they have unmatched dignity and worth. And so God, I pray for my friends who are living on the streets right now. I pray for my friends who um, are wondering where their next meal is gonna come from. I'm praying for my friends who are ill and have no way to get better. God, I just pray that, that you would give them a little bit of hope right now. Um, God, and that you would begin to just speak to them and say, lo, there are people who care about you. There are 100 plus college students in Denton who care about you. And that, and that you would encourage us and inspire us, God, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this place. Um, so God, we love you. We give Imago to you. And we pray, God, that you would bless it and multiply what's given in incredible ways for the kingdom. We pray that in Christ's name, amen. Well, in addition, uh, we've already talked about this a little bit, but tonight is gonna be all about finding freedom. And so we have a really special guest um, who's gonna be with us tonight. Um, it's Jamie Mullins, who is the Lake City's campus pastor. Um, you guys got welcome. You should go ahead and welcome on up here. Um, Jamie is not only the Lake City's campus pastor, but she's also um, leading the charge of our Pastor Dongo School of Ministry, which I'm sure, I hope you'll talk about that tonight at some point, sure. maybe a little bit um, of that. That's an incredible paid internship over yes. the summer um, and through all the other semesters. And so Jamie's all about investing in the next generation. Like she's had a crazy busy day and she's here on a Monday night away from her family. So um, I'm super grateful that she's with us and believe in, um, in what she's gonna teach us. So um, you guys lean in and uh, it's gonna be awesome. So Jamie... So glad you're here. Take Thank it away. you. Yeah, thing. I'm so excited to be here. So since Cole mentioned it, I will go ahead and let you guys know, one of my favorite things that I get to do here at Cross Timbers is actually being part of our school ministry program. And I see lots of familiar faces in this room. Um, so just so you're aware, I'm gonna be hanging after service. Our school ministry applications for the summer semester are actually open now. And so if you have been thinking about it, as Cole said, it is a paid internship. So we've got some incredible opportunities that are open this summer. And so if you've been thinking about it, now's the time. We, Brittany and I are here to answer questions that you may have tonight. We'll hang out after service so that we can connect with you. But um, applications are live and we'd love to have you guys come and check out our program. So I've got to tell you, Cole mentioned that 
Let's show, let's show everybody that we're not just a bunch of poor college students, that we're actually making a difference. And I've gotta let you know that I'm honored to be here tonight because I have heard the buzz about CT College. I've heard about what's happening in this room. So to get to be here with you tonight is an honor and privilege. And when Madison called and she said, hey, we're gonna be in this Modern Disciples series, would you come and teach? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. What do you want me to teach on? And she said, finding freedom. And I was, I was really excited because there's been this passage, actually the passage that Avery read over us during worship that's captured my attention over the last couple of months. It's a passage about freedom and it's one that I think that we can learn a lot about. And the story, it's just a few verses, verses two through 11 in John chapter eight. We don't really know much about this woman. There's not really a documentation of her history, where she came from, what led her to this moment. And in fact, in my Bible, in the heading, all that I know about her is that she's an adulterous woman. But I'm a details girl, so I hate just leaving someone as a title on a page. I wanna dig in and find out what led her to this encounter with Jesus anyways. John doesn't give us any details, and so I just did some homework about what could I find out. And one thing that we do know is that she would have been looked down in her community simply because she was a woman. Women in Jesus' day and time were second-class citizens. Most girls were married by the time they were 12 or 13 years old, and it was typically to a distant family member like an uncle. And I don't have time to get into all of that, but can we just admit there had to be some crooked branches on the family trees back then? She, so she is probably already married. She's looked down on. Women were not able to receive an education. They couldn't read the Bible. They couldn't even be in church when men were in the room. They were treated as property. And so I've got to believe that somewhere along the way, she's growing up and she's hearing the message of your property, you gotta be set aside. Dads wanted, dads wanted sons because they could carry on the family name, because they could provide for them in their old age. So daughters were a disappointment and they were kept in privacy until they were actually married. And so I've gotta believe as she was growing up, she started to hear, whether it was through direct messages or indirect, that she didn't have value, that she didn't have worth. And so she started to look for the acceptance that her heart so desperately longed for. And she was looking for validation in any way and any shape that she could. And so I think what happened is she started to go from relationship to relationship because she wasn't able to find the acceptance and the validation that she was looking for. And here we find her in John chapter eight. And the religious leaders used her as a pawn in their game and they throw her before the feet of this guy who's claiming to be the son of God and they're hurling all of these insults and all of this judgment on her. Can you imagine the emotions that she felt? Shame, guilt, humiliation, fear. And with every word, all of the lies that she had ever believed were confirmed. And she's bracing for the moment that she's know, she knows is coming and all of a sudden, she sees his hand. Jesus stoops down to meet her and he begins writing in the sand. She can't even look up. Her eyes are focused on the ground in front of her because she can't even bear the weight of looking into the eyes of her accusers or into this man who calls himself the son of God. So he begins to write in the sand. There's a lot of speculation about what Jesus was writing in the sand that day. Some Bible scholars would tell you that he was writing down the names of all of the religious leaders and all of the sins that they had committed. I don't think that I agree with that. 
we don't know for sure what happened, but if you were to translate in this passage, it says that he was writing to write. And if you were to take the actual original Greek translation of that, it would mean that he was to write a record. So the religious leaders, they're coming to Jesus and they're wanting him to give a sentence of her in accordance with the law. They wanted him to sentence her to death. So what I think he was doing was giving them exactly what they asked for. He was writing her sentence in the sand. And so as he writes, she's cringing and she's waiting for the first stone to be thrown. But instead, he says, the one without, the one without sin should be the first to throw a stone. And one by one, they walk away. You wanna know what I think Jesus wrote in the sand that day? I think he wrote, you are free. And you know why I think that that's why he wrote? Because in verse 10, Jesus says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Neither do I condemn you. She knew she was absolutely guilty and she had no defense. And yet here is Jesus looking at her just like he looks at you and me, saying, neither do I condemn you, you are free. He sends her to live a life of freedom, free of the lies and the shame-based decisions that she had made up until this point. And that's the last we hear of her. That's the, that's, that's the end of the story in the Bible, but I cannot believe that that was the end of her story. No, I think that it was just the beginning. I think that this moment, Jesus frees her from, from the sentence of death, but that she's just beginning to follow him with her life. And again, we don't know this to be true, but I look at the life of Jesus in the Bible and the stories that I get to see about the encounters that he had with people and the moments that people got to experience either healing or radical transformation. And what I can see is that sometimes he sent people to do a specific task. He would tell them to go, go back to their hometown and tell everyone what I've done. Or he would give them specific instructions to carry out. In this passage, all he tells her, you're free, go and don't live in sin anymore. And so, because I see other, other stories of like Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, she was tormented by seven demons. Jesus, is, he frees her from those. And she becomes one of the leaders of this group of women that followed Jesus. There's a passage in Matthew 20 where there's these two blind guys and Jesus heals them. And Matthew tells us that the minute that they receive healing, they start to follow Jesus with their life. And so I'm, I'm, inter, I'm entering myself into this picture, but what I've gotta believe is because Jesus didn't give her specific instructions. That day that she was set free from the bondage, she decided to follow her, him with her life. And so if we go on a little bit further in the story, it's actually only 20 verses later. I don't know exactly what the timeline is on this. It could have been a couple of weeks, it could have been a couple of months, but it's just 20 verses in this book of John. She still has those words ringing in her ears, neither do I condemn you. She has been set free from a life sentence because of what she had done. But now she's had this crazy encounter and she's learning that there's more to the story, that it wasn't just this one-time experience. She's learning that she may have been set free from this moment of being stoned to death, but in order to really be set free from the bondage that led her to that moment, it was going to require something from her. 
Jesus says to the, says to the Jews that he was, um, who believed in him in John chapter eight, verses 31 and 32. It says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I think Jesus wanted that woman and everyone else in the crowd and he wants you and me to know that freedom is not an experience to encounter, it's a lifestyle. Now hear me, an experience is a great place to start. We got to have an incredible experience tonight in worship. And you may have had a radical experience with the love of Jesus at some point in your life. It's a great place to start. And I think that we, when we encounter the reckless love of Jesus, when we encounter his grace, we get a taste of what freedom looks like. But here's the thing about an experience. I looked up the definition. The definition of an experience is an event or occurrence that leaves an impression on someone. An experience can fade away. An impression can mark us, but it doesn't have the power to transform us. I'll tell you, um, I've, I've been married, goodness, it's gonna be 18 years ago now. I am old, you guys. Thank you for letting an old woman come and talk to you. I just did the math on my wedding day. So um, it's been a long time ago since I was planning a wedding. And uh, just a little advice for those of you who will be married at some point down the road. I uh, put all of my thoughts and efforts and energy into planning a wedding day. So I was all about the fairy tale experience. We had a massive wedding and it was a really amazing party. It was like everything that a little girl could have dreamed of, I got to have. We, got, we had this incredible DJ and we danced all night long and all the people that we loved were there. And we had the horse-drawn carriage and the, the rose petals leading us out to, to, um, to the horse-drawn carriage. It was an incredible night. The thing is, is that I put so much time and effort and energy into planning this one night, this one experience, that I failed to plan for the actual marriage. And so what happened is that when we got married, we got home and I found out that my husband snores, like a lot, and that he drools in his sleep. One night I rolled over and I ended up on his pillow and there's drool everywhere. And here's the thing, also there's dirty laundry that you get to pick up when you're married. So all of this stuff starts piling up. And here's the thing, I, for a little bit, okay, this is dating me also, we had our wedding videoed, so it was on VHS and it still is. I haven't transferred it to DVD. But I loved our wedding day so much that I just wanted to watch this video over and over again. And then all these things start happening and I found out if, if I was really gonna do this for better or worse thing, if I was really gonna be able to be in this for sickness or in health, it had to go beyond just me watching our wedding video. Like that night was incredible. It was an amazing experience, but I couldn't actually stay married in a healthy way if I just made it all about that one night. I had to dig into what does it really mean to be a wife? And in my household, we started, we started learning what does it look like to communicate with each other, to have healthy conflict and conversations. I learned he actually wanted me to cook a little bit. And so I got to learn how to cook. And at first, it was a lot of baking. I think we both gained 20 pounds in our first year of marriage. But I had to learn that I had to honor, I got to honor and respect my husband. And so we still now, all these years later, We'll pull out the VHS, yes, we still own a VCR because I haven't gotten it transferred, and we'll watch that video. But the thing is, is what we have now is so much better. And it's because we moved beyond just an experience and this incredible night to this lifestyle of what does it really look like to be married? 
And I think that's what Jesus was wanting the people who followed him to realize in this passage. He wanted them to see that they needed to move beyond just a miraculous moment and to, to press into this lifestyle of freedom. And if they were gonna do that, it meant listening to his words and following his teaching. Because we don't just live for a moment, we wanna live a life of the miraculous. I love the message translation of this verse. It says, if you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth and the truth will free you. So what does this look like for us today? Well, if we're gonna live out what he told us, I think for the adulterous woman in the story, she had to come to this understanding that she had to move beyond this moment where she's set free and she had to choose to actually live out of life because if she would have just gone back to her life as usual after this encounter, what do you think would have happened? She would have gotten trapped back in the same habits in the same patterns, looking to people for her validation and acceptance. So she had to actually start living out what Jesus told her. She couldn't just, she couldn't just accept, okay, I'm free, I'm just gonna go back to life as usual. She had to make a change in her direction and start living out the truth of what God, tell, God told her. And so if that's true for us, we have to start with this. It says, living out what I tell you. And for us, we can know what he told us by digging into this word. Every single thing that we need, every piece of advice you'll ever ask, a you, you may wanna phone a friend. I'm telling you, it's here. So if we're gonna live this thing out, if we're really gonna walk in freedom, we've got to move beyond an experience. We've gotta get into his word and know the truth of it and what he says. So I wanna, I wanna prove that for you. So battling anxiety. Anybody in the room battle anxiety? Spend some time with Paul in Philippians chapter four. He says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it, up all, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. That sounds like some good wisdom. Some things that we can live out to find freedom. Do you ever feel yourself getting caught up in the comparison trap? So did the church at Galatia. So Paul wrote these words for them. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Battling lust. James, Jesus' half-brother, tells us in 2 Timothy 2.22 that we should run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. And there's more, there's, there's this really cool thing in the back of our Bibles called a concordance. Anything that we need to walk in freedom can be found in this word. But we can't just stop at reading the words on the page. Jesus told us to stick with living out what he told us. Modern disciples, if we're gonna follow Jesus and if we're gonna find freedom, we've gotta dig into this truth. We've gotta study what Jesus did. We've gotta open the pages and, and realize what it means for us. 
I, I think I was, I was thinking about this. I'm like, well, what else is important for life? If you needed kidney dialysis to stay alive, you would go and do it, right? If there was this, if you were battling this disease and you had to take a specific pill every day to stay alive, you would take it. I think it's that important for us to read the word of God, you guys. Because the thing is that Jesus tells us in this passage that the truth will set you free. But the thing is, it's only the truth that we know that will set us free. And so if we're gonna find freedom, we've got to know this word so that we can continue to walk it out. Because what's gonna happen is when you go back to school tomorrow, when you go back home this summer, you're gonna, you're gonna find yourself in the same patterns. And so we've got to be armed with his word so that we can, so we can walk in freedom. I think there's another important thing for us to see in, this, in John 8, 32, if we're gonna live in freedom. Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. CT College, what's the opposite of truth? A lie. Before the truth can set you free, you've got to recognize which lie is holding you in bondage. The adulterous woman, she needed to hear Jesus say, neither do I condemn you, because he knew that shame would likely come back to threaten her freedom. He need, she needed to hear, I don't condemn you, you are free, because he knew the lie that she believed was that she wasn't enough, that she didn't have value, that she didn't have worth. That lie had held her in bondage and led her to make shame-based decisions. The opposite of condemned is blessed, honored, approved. The truth that she needed to hear to set her free was that she was approved, honored, and blessed. And that was the key that unlocked her chains. So, especially with Cole sitting in the room and him being a seminary student, I feel like I've got to just admit to you guys that I've made a lot of inferences in this passage tonight. Like, a lot of this is not facts. Like, it's my own personal opinion about the story. And the reason it's my own personal opinion is because I, for most of my life, found myself caught up in these lies of believing that I wasn't enough. I'm gonna be really transparent with you guys and share a part of my story that I don't typically share. And I think some of it's just because I'm on the floor because I'm not up on stage. <laughs> so I feel like we're in my living room and I can just share openly. So when I was eight years old, um, my dad called me into our garage to watch him try to hang himself. He battled bipolar disorder for most of my life. And so as an eight-year-old little girl, I walked into a room and watched my dad hanging from a rope. And I made a decision in that moment that I would do whatever it took to be enough so he never tried to do that again. I believed the lie at the age of eight that I wasn't enough. Because if I was enough, then my dad wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have made the decisions that he made because if I could be good enough, then he wouldn't feel like he had to do that. And so from the time that I was eight, I began to believe this lie that I wasn't enough and that I had to prove myself. And so starting from that age until really adulthood, I did everything that I could, not just to be good enough, but to be perfect. I had to be the top of my class. It wasn't good enough just to make straight A's, I needed to be in the top 10. It wasn't good enough just to be on the track team, I needed to win every race. I sought validation and approval from every person, especially authority figures that were in my life. But here's the thing, when you believe a lie to be true, it doesn't matter what else happens. Because here's the thing, 
I was the top of my class, but it still wasn't enough. I did get the validation and approval that I was seeking from coaches and teachers and youth pastors, everybody that I could. They were giving me the outer girls and saying, you've got this, Jamie, you're doing so great. And you know what? Their words fell on deaf ears because at my core, I believed the lie that I wasn't enough. I went through, I was in years of counseling and, and found lots of freedom. But I gotta tell you, it wasn't until I had this moment, I, I was watching a movie actually, and in this movie, there was a scene that was much like the picture in my childhood. It was another guy, it was a man hanging himself in a garage, and it was like seeing the moment of my childhood play out before me on a screen, something inside of me broke inside. And I heard Jesus say, when are you gonna stop running and realize you've always been enough? And he, I heard him say, and I didn't hear him in an audible voice, it wasn't like this loud, booming echo, but he said, Jamie, you've known the truth. Like it's been up here. You've had this like knowledge that you're enough, but I needed to soak into and sink myself into the words and the truth of what God's word said that I am enough. So I needed to know the truth and walk it out. And that's where I found freedom. And so what I wanna ask you tonight is what lie are you believing? I believe some of you in the room tonight, one of the lies you might believe is that you're a mess, like you just can't get it together. Why can't you just get your stuff together? Some of you may have grown up believing that you're a mistake, that you, you shouldn't, you're not even supposed to be here. Some of you may have had a doctor speak over to you that you've got this chronic health condition that's never gonna be able to be healed. Well, I wanna tell you tonight, you're not a mess, you're not a mistake, you're not a failure, you're not forgotten and you're not unforgivable. And I wanna help you replace those lies with the truth of God's word. So here are a few things that God says about you. Romans 8, 16 says, you are a child of the living God. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, you're forgiven. There's nothing that you've ever done that can ever keep you from his forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, you're a new creation. So no matter how far you think you've gotten away, you're a new creation in Christ once you've, you're following him. Psalm 91, 11 says, you are kept in safety wherever you go. For those of you who are, who are battling something in your health, 1 Peter 2, 24 says, you are healed by his stripes. Romans 8, 37 says, you're more than a conqueror. Matthew 5, 13 says, you are the light of the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, you are not moved by what you see. And Revelation 12, 11 says, you are an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. That is the truth of who you are. And we have to know that truth and we've got to walk it out in order for us to find freedom and to live in freedom. Galatians 5, 1 says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So what I wanna challenge you with tonight, I wanna challenge you to first identify the lie that you might be believing. And we're in a moment, I'm gonna ask the band to go ahead and actually come back out. Some of your, the prayer and care team here, they're gonna be around the four corners. And I just want you to spend some time and ask the Lord, is there a lie that I'm believing? That I need to receive truth? And our prayer team's gonna be around the four corners and they would love to pray with you and to remind you of who God says you are and the truth of what his word says you are. And then 
If we're gonna be modern disciples, I'm gonna challenge you, get this out. Dig into the word, because if we're gonna walk in freedom and not just have an encounter, but we're gonna make it a lifestyle, we've gotta know the truth if it's gonna set us free. It's our lifeline to freedom. And I believe that it all starts with an encounter. So maybe tonight's your encounter to have an encounter. Your night, this is your night to have an encounter with the reckless love of God. It's gonna start with you identifying the lies that you're believing and replace that with the truth of who God says you are. And then let's get into this word and allow it to transform us so that we're not just having a miracle moment, but we live a life of the miraculous. So I'm gonna pray for us and I'm gonna ask that our prayer, our prayer team will go ahead and get in their places. God, I thank you for a reckless love that would knock down any wall to come after us. God, I thank you that you chose to do that for me and that you wanna do that for every single person in this room. God, I just, I come against any lie that has taken its, its shape and a weapon formed against any college student in this room tonight. And God, we declare the truth that we are enough in you. God, that we are more than conquerors. God, that we're a new creation, that all of our needs are being met by you. God, I thank you that by your stripes we're healed. And God, as we sink into the truth of who we are in you, God, I just pray that you would give us the courage to walk it out. God, I'm praying that tonight as we go home, we would choose to sink in to the truth of your word and, and that we would have courage to walk it out and not go back to business as usual. God, because it's in your word, it's in your truth that we find freedom. It's not in a moment. It's in a day by day choosing truth over lies. God, I thank you that freedom is possible. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.